You're Going to Die, the podcast is brought to you by YG2D, a 501c3 nonprofit bringing diverse communities creatively into the conversation of death and dying, inspiring life by unabashedly sourcing our shared mortality. To find out more, visit www.yg2d.com. We here at You're Going to Die are committed to getting episodes of this podcast out every friggin' week. And if you notice that, then you may have also noticed that we took last week off and we're trying to remember we're all going to die someday. So sometimes it's okay to take a break. And we're back. Missed you. It is so good to be back. Hello, welcome to You're Going to Die, the podcast, your creatively conscious mortality podcast, your favorite creatively conscious mortality podcast. You might not even know it yet, but it's kind of the only one on the market. So uh, it's just sort of like automatically defaults to your favorite, even if you've never heard it before. It's been out here waiting for you. And I am your host, Ned Buskirk, your creatively conscious mortal just here with you and glad to be. Welcome. This episode with Adam Jackson is a favorite. I want to say something about his work with Sacred Sons. It's about community uh, men being together and boys growing into men, making space for sacred ritual and ceremony and connectedness. And it's also like quite simple. I love one thing Adam Jackson says about his work with Sacred Sons when he tells people at these gatherings, at these ceremonies, at these events, if the only thing that happens is they make a friend with another man who they can connect to and check in with in the future, like good friends should, then that's it. That's all that matters. And I have to tell you that off the record, um, not off the record now, but off the record talking with Adam, I said through tears at the end of our chat how much I realized listening to him and researching Sacred Sons for the interview, how I feel sometimes I lack the brotherhood the places I can go with other men regularly. And it also made me realize I do have those men in my life, but what I'm not doing enough is reaching out to them. And so I've been calling all my buddies regularly since having this conversation with Adam. And it is that simple. And it feels important for me growing up in this culture, growing up in North America and the United States. What is it like to have male community who checks in with each other? I think the trend like Adam and I talk about in this interview is uh, trending towards disconnect as we get older. Sometimes maybe if you have a family, men are just making that their like best friend place, the only place for their relationships. And being someone who has a family, I don't know what it's like when you don't, but I can say from my friends, the way I know is this inclination to kind of retreat to your cave and not talk about your feelings with other guys. And it is a thing that I feel I need personally. And maybe not everybody relates, especially if you're not a man, but I do think this conversation matters for understanding that need and understanding how much Adam Jackson and the work of Sacred Sons matters, I think, in the world. 
So needless to say, this conversation, yet again, another conversation that meant so much to me personally and had an impact on me in my own personal life. So glad to share this conversation with you then. So maybe it'll offer you something too. Adam Jackson holds a vision for ushering brotherhood to the forefront of our communities as a means for conscious healing. He is co-founder, CVO, and host of Sacred Sons Podcast. I feel I made another friend, a brother, in this conversation with Adam Jackson. I hope you feel that aliveness of our connecting to here. In this episode of You're Going to Die, the podcast with Adam Jackson. Yeah, so I wanna I wanna, you know, introduce myself to you, Ned, and and say my name is Adam Charles Jackson. Uh, I was named after my grandfather on my father's side, his name was Charles Jackson, and my grandfather on my mother's side, his name was Paul Charles Beach. Both of them died while my parents were children. My mom's dad committed suicide, and my father saw his dad die from a heart attack. He was he was five years old and he he witnessed it. And so in my life, I have always had this association by being named after these men who had left, who I had never met, who I didn't grow up with. I didn't have that grandfather energy. I had the, the love, the deepest love of my grandmothers, but I, I know the longing. And I also had, as a child, I had this looming awareness of death because of my name. And I always, I had this image that I was always going to die young because of it. And so death has been in my awareness since I was very young. However, I've been fortunate um, not to be touched by it in the tragic ways that so many of the brothers and sisters who I work with have. And my time is coming. And, and, and also, I think in my service work, it's almost a preparation for myself. Mm-hmm. Am, I, am I really here to create the space that I will need for myself? Because I know, I know tragedy is coming for me at, at some point in my life. And like Stephen Jenkins, it says, it's not if I die, I want to go like this. It's like when I die. Yeah. So many of us want to <laughs> So if I die, it's, uh, it's going to be like this. It's like, no, man, we're all going to die. And I love the quote um, from Olivia from Sacred Crossings, which is no one wants to die today. But whenever we die, it's always today. <laughs> and for me, That's this is good. a motiv- this is a motivating force for me to live to live today and to not walk with a fear of death, but to walk with a, a respect and an honoring of it because without it, there's no life. Mm-hmm. That's right. I also, I also want to acknowledge something that I think I relate to because I think before my mom died, I had a relationship with grief because of that lineage. And exactly. so when you talk about the naming, for sure, that's very potent. And I have that too. Um, and, uh, the suicide, the moment for your, you know, I can just, I can, my eyes well up with tears thinking of your dad, seeing that and feeling that through you. And so there's this times when I talk about my work with people and I say, well, my mom died in 2003, but there is a relationship I was having with loss and grief that started well before that definitely connected to her getting diagnosed when I was 13 and dealing with her, like losing her hair and the chemo and the treatment. But I mean, also like the level of heartbreak that was in our household. from both my mom and my dad. And so, you know, there is that way, right? I imagine you feel you do have familiarity with grief because of what you inherited. 
Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> and the story is um, from my mom is so tragic because she was the one who found her dad. And if you're open, I'll just go into it. But, you know, she was <clears throat> she was 17 years old and she was pregnant with my sister. Mm. So this is 1969. I'm biracial. My mother's white. My father's black. And <clears throat> she came home. She heard a loud bang in the attic. She instantly went into shock mode. She runs upstairs uh, to find her father laying on the floor and she's pregnant with my sister and my mom, my 17 year old mom, right? She's, she believed mm. that the reason he killed himself was because he found out she was pregnant, which, which wasn't true at all. Mm. The truth is that he was manic depressive and that he had, yeah. You know, I, I don't even want to assume that I know the truth, but let's just say, he was going through it. Well, important, important, I think, to acknowledge when we're young, too, which I don't know if you can relate to this, but I imagine at 17 still there is this level of our uh, our age. Um, we're still experiencing things around us like we're the center and so then responsible. I mean, like at early as possible, this things that are happening around me, including my own father's attempted suicide or my mother's alcoholism and depression. There's just this, this feeling of like, well, is this because of, is this because of me that very natural immediate, like I'm taking this on, like that this happened, it must be my fault. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I've watched my mom, um, you know, grow with that story and to, you know, to have that as a part of a part of, you know, the story of my life. It's, yeah. I, I, I just want to emphasize that I, I know the longing and, you know, most of the experiences, experiences that I've had have been more related uh, to drug overdoses and suicide and friends who, who have decided to check out, you know, and that's where the, that's where the inspiration and the, the piece of me that wants to, to help comes from. Can we, should we go that route right now? I mean, I'll just tell you that finishing my version of that yes. is the, like, I go to do this event. My mother-in-law dies in 2012. By then I'm doing that open mic. And when I came to that open mic, after she died, the very next show after she died, also from cancer, I knew when I was in the space, I was like, this is what it's for. It's for my grief. It's for me to be with my community. It's to talk about their lives and deaths. And so fast forward nutshell of where we're at now, the work I do has me in the hospital almost half the week, like about 15 to 20 hours a week working with cancer patients. I'm in San Quentin every week doing suicide prevention with a group called the light keepers in there. Wow. And we do our events like the open mic. We just got approved for the new year. We do open mics every other month, which is that space, right? It's like, what are you carrying in your heart? Like I said earlier wow. that you're, it defines your experience and we're not talking about it enough. Like, I know that's what you do with these guys. It's like, there is something in there that you, especially with men, there's something in you that is defining your experience and you don't think you can talk about it or you don't know how to articulate it. And I'll, I'll stop trying to explain what you do with sacred sons, but I bet that's part of it. And so all of that really is where you were going to die started to grow. It started to get us in the prison. We do work with exonerees, um, especially out of Ohio with the innocence network. Um, we're going to be there in new Orleans doing a restorative justice open mic and a community forum about like how we carry on after and despite grief and loss or maybe even 
informed by grief and loss. And then we have a hospice program where we send musicians to the dying's bedsides and they play music for the dying and write songs for them. So that's the kind of nutshell of the nonprofit. Um, And I absolutely am like main facilitator on so much of this, but we also have a team of musicians, a lot of musicians, but other people that kind of lead and create the space We just finished a death of a parent grief and healing workshop last night. And what I wanted to tell you about that is something that you said, this is me pulling on all the threads. This is how our conversation will go. You said, you said we, the ancestors, when I asked them the prompt, I, one of the prompts in that group, we've been with them for four weeks was where are your parents now? I just want to say like, what you said is so true. And we can't even deny it when we, open that prompt up and say, where are your parents now? Sometimes the first line is nowhere. And then the rest is the animal that I saw, the breeze that I felt on my face, that my hair, you know, the parts of who I am. The dream I had. dreams, yes, exactly. So I wanted to acknowledge that truth, that thing that I feel so much and and for sure feel my mom running through all of this, right? And especially with the cancer patients, um, that like ancestry infusing, like my life is made from your life and your death. That's how my life is what it is. You know? Yeah. Our lives are a result of the compost of those who came before us, mm-hmm. you know? And, mm-hmm. and then, and then it's even, it's, it's even deeper than the animals because it's, it's in our DNA. It's in our blood. They see through our eyes. They speak through our voice. You know, I even imagine here in this conversation, as I'm calling them in and saying their names, you know, saying their names and inviting them in to to be here as well. I think that's an important part. And a lot of men who have experienced that loss that I work with, I like to remind them, like they're right here. They're they're looking through your eyes right here, right now. And um, I think that's a great place for us to hold those that we lost, is to hold them as a part of us always. Thanks, Adam. Um, I'm feeling just wanting to stop and just say, I'm so glad to finally talk to you. I feel like we've, we've been like two years out or three years out from this meeting. And so just getting present to, to the gratitude I have for an exchange like this after a emotional and kind of quick and, and urgent morning, it just feels good to like, just be here with you and dig into some of this. Um, thank you for saying yes to talking with me. Um, means a lot. Um, I want to talk about your version of that, which you started getting into, which is especially from loss in your community, from friends to overdose and suicide. Is there share with me if you can, the bridge from all of that into the work with sacred sons and, and maybe to just the like story of that coming into being and, um, that feels like a good place to go next if it's all right. Yeah. Just in the the same sense of honoring, I want to bring into the field, my brother, Tavis Postel, he overdosed in 2018, the same year that Sacred Sons was founded. And what I was left with was a unread Facebook message from him um, because I had deleted my Facebook and wasn't checking it. <clears throat> And so I got a call from his, at the time, 18-year-old daughter just saying like, Uncle Adam, like my dad is dead. They found him in a hotel and he had overdosed and, you know, the exact substances don't matter. But what does matter is that it happened so quickly Mm. because I had spoken to him six months earlier Mm. 
He's a brick mason. He has a family. And he had gotten laid off. And it happened that quickly to where six months later, he's found overdosed in a hotel. And so just like having that awareness of how, of how quickly it can go. And also the importance of picking up the phone, the importance of uh, be, having the courage and the willingness to pick up. And that goes for both sides, for whoever the mm. one is suffering and for the one who's, who's there to offer support. You know, it's just, it's, it's almost, it's equally as important to say, I'm going to call and, and check on my friends in the same frequency that I would wish that someone would check on me. Sure. You know? Yeah. And so that's, that's a part of my inspiration for sacred sons. It's, you know, really bringing men together, using the medicine of brotherhood to cultivate that space of openness of willingness to share and to, you know, largely it comes down to the grief. It comes down to sharing the sadness. You know, I, a lot of men, they think it's in the anger and a lot of men mm. do come angry and like angry. I'm angry that, that my sister's gone, that my mother's gone, but they haven't had the space to just fall apart. And, yeah. and it, sometimes it can be as simple. I, I remember I was working with a brother and, you know, I'm not going to claim to, to be a master of the stages of grief, but he was in the denial slash anger. Yeah. It. No, no one, <laughs> no, it just seems no one is the like master. There's just the constant, like, what are the stages and how can I add like 40 more to them? <laughs> but what you can be a master at, which I feel like is so important in your work is to, to, um, to discern, you know, and call yes. out what is going on. You know, I feel like yes. that's it, right? You have a man come into a circle who's, who's angry and that they need someone to name that that's what it is. And then yes. also be able to see through it to like, well, what else, you know? And the, and the, the simplicity of it is what he said to, to kind of crack the, the wall of the dam of his heart was I miss my mom. Like he wouldn't allow himself to say it. He was trying to be strong. He was trying to be angry about the circumstances and, and to hold it. But it was just like, I miss my mom. Uh, that was the, that's the point where it was like, oh, yeah. And allow, allow us to all be there mm. um, in it with him. And so it's moments, it's moments like that um, time and time again, that restore my faith in humanity. Mm. And, and that, um, that allow me to honor like the friends that I've lost. And the brothers that I've lost along the way. And, I want, uh, yeah, you know, go ahead, go ahead. And yeah. And it's, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful gift that we can offer each other. The, um, the gift of being able to, to go to that space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I'm so moved by the like sentence. And I just like, imagine that moment when he could say, the heart of the matter. That's that getting back to that thing, right? It's like, that's the heartbreak. That's that sentence is that thing he's carrying everywhere that he's covering up or that he's yeah. protecting or that he feels like would have him look too vulnerable or weak, you know? Yes. And I'm not assumptions about, like I say, like this, these are things that happen, right? When uh, maybe you're a man in our culture. And I mean, like specifically, and this could be something now that you're doing work internationally, as much as you're doing work internationally, I wonder if you can speak to this, right? My experience, and it really should be, is like, what is it like to be a man in uh, North America, you know, in, and specifically the United States? Uh, how do you grow up? What is masculinity? What does it mean to be vulnerable? What does it mean to shed tears, express grief? Yeah. Um, you know, what I find in the international work 
is that it all in 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 not only international but intercultural is that it still all comes down to the same basic set of emotions glad sad mad guilt fear shame and we know this and i know that you know this ned but the grieving it's not in the words it's in the actions it's in our ability to allow ourselves to feel it and to let it come through us and to like let ourselves be witnessed in it Mm-hmm. That's a, I think that's an important part of it. Well, yeah, let, let's dig into that too. Cause so much of what I know of sacred sons really is not enough, first of all, but it is looking, watching some of the reels you share some of these vulnerable okay. moments that, that you create and facilitate. And so maybe you could put like a, a specific circumstance to, to what you just said, it, you know, to not have it be the words, but to have it be the action. So then how does sacred son create the kind of space where the action can occur and maybe less of the, like, here's all the words about it. If that's fair, like paraphrase to what you just said. Yeah. Yeah. So on a grand scale, what Sacred Sons is doing is we're changing the culture of what it means to be a man. And we're allowing a space for men to to stand in, in brotherhood, in connection, confrontation, and celebration with other men. On the zoomed-in scale, when we're just talking about one man at a time, there are opportunities in our gatherings, um, in in our experiences, where one man can have the center uh, to express and to have a primal recalibration for whatever needs to be expressed, whatever needs to come through. And the reason why it's, you know, I think it's important that men do the work and hold the space for the work is because sometimes these things can look scary. You know, sometimes the anger and the, the aggression um, is, is held down because people are afraid to, to be seen in it. Yeah. And what I actually experience and know of men is that we can handle anything. <laughs> yeah. You know, especially in a circle. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so that's what we invite in is really those spaces. And we don't just jump to it on day one. You sure. Know, there's a, there's a de-armoring process. Um, there's a deeply connective aspect to it. And again, we're, we're doing this work on the land out in nature where we can have some of those more mystical experiences mm-hmm. you know, that allow us to, to deeply feel. Um, I love that. Yeah. The softening of nature, the wildness. Yeah. I imagine too, what I experience with our, especially like the open mics, these opening spaces where part of the steps is who's facilitating offers that first entry point to it's a guide, but it's also like, here's the, here's uh, an example of what's possible here. Mm -hmm. And I feel like often with our open mics, that's what I do first, right? I get up and, and, I'm not just entertaining and and funny. These are like produced open mic spaces with some music peppered throughout. Um, But it's got some ceremony to it. And part of that is like this invitation that I bring in. And then I'm wondering too, likely with the work you do with sacred sons, it's like, who's the first one to like go through the next door and that you start to see over however many days, maybe, or even in a day, how that's how it starts to like build and deepen as you have people going through a door and then someone going through that and opening the next one. Does that yes. sound familiar for you? Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we even have a, a brother on our team, one of our leaders, Kale, who we call the first to cry because in many of these cases, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's the one that will go there um, to give the permission for everyone else to go there. And 
while I'm saying we can facilitate with one man in the center, a lot of every, every time we can all relate or resonate with something that that man has to share. And so maybe one man is in the center expressing the grief and the loss, but everyone around is connected on that same frequency and, and applying it to their life experience and feeling what they haven't felt or need to feel in that moment. So in a way it, it, it is very much a, a group collective mm-hmm. experience. Mm-hmm. And, and to bring it back to what I was wanting to acknowledge you for earlier, that is how we like learn and integrate other loss that hasn't been ours yet. Oh yeah. When someone comes to you and said, I miss my mom and just collapses in tears from finally revealing that, you know, or like giving it away even, um, yeah. or on, on, on stopping what that's holding back. Yeah. Um, and we don't stop there. Yeah. You know? So that, that process, yeah, tell me. Yeah, that's and, then, good. Yeah. and then, you know, the next day, and this, this is the same thread and I'm for the sake of confidentiality, confidentiality, I won't use any names, but then we go into a, a sweat lodge, um, and we sit and we pray. And again, we're honoring the ancestors. We're honoring the directions, the elements. And <clears throat> I remember that, that same brother, um, you know, he told me that when he came out of that, it was like a rebirth, you know, and a rebirth of himself without that mother. Right. And a rebirth of himself for who he is now without her. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, sometimes we have to crack down into the depths to, to be built back up into who we are moving forward mm-hmm. and not that we're leaving anything behind. In fact, I think, I think he's taking more with him, you know, yes. in terms of, in terms of connection and connection to that particular ancestor. I think, I think we come out of here, uh, refueled cupful. Yeah. I was, I was feeling that this it's, it is a loss of what the mother was say in this example that he doesn't leave that sweat lodge or those next parts of this time together, especially like in the wake of the grief release. Yeah. He doesn't leave that. He leaves with something integrated. And I think what you just said names that it is this integration then of, of what's possible next, which depends on receiving her, you know, receiving her now as the ancestor. I, I'm, 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 I want to be careful because it's one of those moments when you use words and you start to get further and further away from it. But that, I mean, you said it, it matters to me that you put it that way there at the end that he also left with her. It's not that yeah. he's without her. He's, he's integrated her in a new way. I mean, may, does that. It, absolutely. All right. Okay. Abs- all right. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That feels so important. I feel like now more than ever, especially over the last few years. And I'd say the exoneree community, you know, these people that have been incarcerated for decades, some of them, um, and who shouldn't be the, the window of that into the prison industrial complex is just, Oh, these events are, um, I just cannot say enough about the power and learning and from, from what these people have lived through, but what we've really leaned in in the last few years is something that sounds like sacred sons has just done a good job of having, uh, integrated into the structure of these experiences 
all along, which is the importance of, yeah, grief, you know, like let's make room for that wholly and fully, but then how do we carry on? You know, what, what is the next thing? And something I'm feeling a lot with what is happening with Palestine and Israel right now in, in, and this is my lessons right now. This is my learning right now. I talk so much about grief and heartbreak, and I'm so good at making room for that. But revolution doesn't get fed by that in a replenishing way. Grief and anger doesn't feed revolution. And you, and by the way, call me out on stuff where you're like, well, I don't agree with that. But what I'm, what I'm getting at is the, the joy, like you said, like you're for life, being for life, being for joy, being for gratitude, community. These are the things that feed revolution. And so feeling that part of the sacred sons, you want to send these men out into the world, feeling this perspective on life, one of joy and gratitude. Certainly one of gratitude, but I would say grief is fueling the revolution. Okay. If you yeah. look at everybody on the city streets right now who are protesting yeah. and who are saying to free Palestine or calling for ceasefire, they are fueled by grief. When I, and, and in my own experience, what I'm seeing on my phone, what I'm seeing on the news and feeling the loss of children, mm. of innocent children. And there's no sense in saying anything other than that. These children are innocent period. And that the loss of life on this scale is it's really incomprehensible for us. You know what I mean? To, to really, to really feel into it, but it's, um, the grief of it is what's fueling people to motivate them because the occupation that's happening in the democratic Republic of the Congo has been happening for a very long time, mm -hmm. but it's not until it's in our face and we see it and not just once, but people who are seeing this day in and day out right now, yeah, they are being fueled by their grief to action. Right. Yeah. And I would say the, the joy or the thought of a, a child living a free life is what we're, is what we're working towards, mm -hmm. like it's, it's yeah. what we're hopeful of creating. Uh, but I, I would say grief is the fuel. And, and I, I know you're absolutely right. And, and I think it is the, what is the thing that's replenishing and that pushes, pushes us forth. And I think you ended with that, right? It's like, well, yeah. it's not this, it's because of what's possible, you know, it's because of the joy yes. of what's possible. Yeah. That's the right, that's the right holding all those parts. That feels really important. Yeah. But I think to, I want, go ahead. And to, and to simply lessen the suffering that's, that is existing in the world. And, ah, uh, I don't think, I don't think there's a, a quality life without the depth of pain and loss and grief. I mean, you know, it's absolutely a part of what we're doing here, man, but to, but to, yeah, but to stay silent and, and to stuff it down is only going to propel us more to, for that type of energy to come out sideways. Like there's, there's no part of me that sees what's happening, um, as a solution, you know, this is, yeah. this is driving things in, in a, in a worse way. I yeah. think it, you know, I hope that that feels obvious for people. I, I think it does for some. Yeah. But there, there is a real feeling I have of looking around and saying, do you really think thousands of years of doing it this way? Like, do you think doing it still like that is going to get us somewhere else? I mean, maybe for you, you know, I mean, that's part of it, right? Without yeah. getting into the politics of it, there is an experience, I think, in our world where the dehumanization of other 
because of our belief system or how we relate our humanity to like land and property. I mean, I am getting into the politics of it, but there is that part where it's like, well, the only way is to just keep doing it that way. Cause that's how I've been able to hold. And, and by the way, living in a country where I'm talking from the privilege of my little computer here, getting to chat with you on zoom. It's like, I really want to make it clear. I, I'm not trying to, I, I I'm here to learn. I don't know, but I do know like the simplest things when I think ceasefire, it's like, I, I wouldn't want murder and killing for any people. So what are my options for stopping it? This is the one option I have right now. It's one of them, you know? Yeah. I got a lot of pushback because I put out a statement saying that all life is sacred, you know? Yeah. And that was a very, I mean, that was a controversial <laughs> thing to say two weeks ago. And for me, that's hard to accept mm. because in the truth of of who we are as humans, I feel deep down humans have, have that, that goodness. Um, and what I know of men and in working with so many fathers is that fathers love their children across all cultures. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Even the ones that are, even the ones that are absent, mm -hmm. you know, they still, they still hold their own version of the, the longing for their children. Mm. And so the longing feels such so important to come back to. Yeah. You've used that a lot. Yeah. I, I, I want to like, say like the real quick, I want to say this, yeah. what you're addressing, something someone said about where everybody's at with, and I mean like all sides are at with Israel and Palestine is that they're in a stage of grief talking about grief, right? This is a stage of grief and we can be stuck in a stage, right? By the way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but to acknowledge, I think what you're saying is there's, there's fathers out there that are, that are stuck in some stage of grief and like love is under that, but exactly. the stage that they're in may be whatever. So I wanted to highlight that. It matters a lot to put it that way. And this is, you know, I can feel someone listening and being like, well, this, my father was abusive. Um, I just want to acknowledge there, there are like mental health, there are trauma down through generations, I don't know enough about it to speak to those things, but just totally. No, you're, yeah, right. you're absolutely right. And that's, that's kind of an important part too. It's like, and that, that was the case with my mom's father. You know, he, I was saying he was manic depressive. He was also abusive. He had, they had uh, my, my mom is one of 13. <clears throat> and there's a part of me from this place. That's like, like, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for doing what you had to do because maybe the abuse would have continued. Mm. Right. Yeah. It's like, can we really zoom out to the big picture and to, to see maybe what, what people are holding? Is it possible mm. for us? Is it possible for us to like really, um, to really resonate with, with the human experience enough to, to have compassion, you know? Mm. And it's, this is a time where deep compassion is needed. Yeah. Deep compassion. And I, and I'm saying that not from a, like on both sides, I don't think there are sides. There's one side and that is humanity. Mm -hmm. And and so, Oh, another kind of line of thinking I like is that the children of this world, they belong to no one and they belong to everyone. Mm -hmm. It's like all of our responsibility to to look out for the children on this planet. 
could we could we uh could we align to some type of thinking in this way like yes we're stewards of this planet and yes can we be protectors of the children what are we doing here if it's not to create a better world for them Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. to enter into and and so that's what I'm saying about like on the grand scale, can we shift the culture? And I have no illusions that we're going to do this in my lifetime or anything like that. But what is, what is the mission look like a thousand years from now with the work you're doing, with the work I'm doing, with the way that our consciousness is evolving? I, I'm, I am fully capable and ready and willing to see a, a, a world without war. Mm-hmm. And for some, it feels so foreign to them. Like well, we have to have it. And, and I say, no, I say, no, if we address the war within the spiritual war, if we, if we are able to take ownership of our actions, our behaviors, our thoughts, our words, and if we're able to find that connection, if we're able to, to authentically and genuinely connect with one another, I say we can, I say we can see a world without war. Mm-hmm. What do you say? Yeah, I say so. You know, I'm an optimist. Hey, I I don't I don't want to bother you too much here in the middle of this episode, honestly, and and that usually you know, when I say I don't have much to say, I say a lot. So I'm going to practice real self-restraint with this, this moment here. I just want you to know how glad we are that you're listening and we need your support to get more community connected to You're Going to Die, the podcast. And the easiest way to do that, two things you can do for us right now while I'm chatting with you a little bit briefly and while the music of Nick Jaina, our producer, holds you so well like it always does. Such a treat having his music running through these episodes. I love it so much. I hope you do too. But while it holds you and while I direct you briefly to go into your podcast app and rate and review the show. That's it. Just rate and review the show. That's all. I'm not going to tell you how that works. I'm not going to explain why it matters so much. I'm just going to say again, please, dear listener, rate and review the show. Additionally, if this episode, let's just say, stick with just this episode, if it matters to you in any way, share it with someone you love. If you've been moved, if you've laughed, if you've cried, if you've learned something, if you have felt anything, I guess especially (laughs) in a positive way, share that with someone else. The word of mouth for the podcast It matters so much, and I'm gonna stop there. I'm not gonna explain why this matters, that you should do it, why you should do it. Just two things, please. Rate and review the show, and share You're Going to Die the podcast with your community. Thank you so, so much. But, you know, I'm a father. I have uh, three sons and we have 
another one on the way. We have a baby girl who's on the way. Oh my goodness. And so what this time does for me is it, it just encourages me to keep them closer to mm. experience and to express that joy and to get on the trampoline and just wrestle for a little bit longer <laughs> and stay present a little bit longer before I go back to my work or doing my, my oh things, my gosh. you know, because that is the revolution. Mm. And, and it's, it's okay if grief fuels it to bring me back to full presence in my kingdom, in my world, in my family. Mm -hmm. As long as it's bringing me back to presence, back to what's important and back to that, that dream that I have for the world. I have to create that here and now, because that's the only thing that matters for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, I I don't have any disillusions about saving the world. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a that's a probably a word I threw into on that story, right? The savings. Like I, I don't really even want that responsibility. Um, <laughs> but and I and I don't know that anybody should, but yeah, that's not not quite the right word, but I I love that. I I talking to Adrian Marie Brown recently for the podcast. One of the things she talks about amongst all the stuff she's doing for Palestine right now, uh, she just talked about going over to her friend's house or her Palestinian friend's house and playing with their kid. And, and that's, that's the sentence. That's, that's part of the revolution. Well, here's on October 7th, we were in Los Angeles. We had an event called convergence, sacred sons, convergence, 250 men. And so little by little throughout the day, men are getting dripped this news that this terrorist attack has happened in Israel. And on this weekend, we had three men from Palestine who are living in America And we had probably a handful of Israeli brothers. One of them, uh, who, who I know very well, he's an IDF soldier. And, and since that day, he's now gone back to Israel to, to suit up. And so what we did was we created a prayer circle. We brought these men together to, to speak, to rage, to look each other in the eyes, Uh, not as enemies, but as men who are grieving, as men who are feeling what's happening in the world and, and can we be in this together? And for all the things that we film and some of the videos that you've seen, that you've seen men on both sides were saying, like, can we not show this? Because I could, my family could disown me if they were to see me doing this with you. You know, but what's real for me is that we can do that. We can come together. Oh man. I just feel like it's just so important. God. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, and it's not all kumbaya. That's not what I'm about, but can we, can we connect with each other? Can we confront each other? Can we say the things that we need to say to clear it for ourselves? I think that's the work that we have to do so that when we walk in the world, we can walk in a good way mm. so that we're not creating more suffering uh, with our own internal suffering. Yeah. And I saw, you know, I saw, I saw it happen. Um, and it's not a, it's also not like, okay, so we had one circle and now, now it's all better. Um, but just, just to create those moments again, over the long, over the long game here, mm-hmm. I feel like it's significant. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just feel like the simple act of grief meeting grief is just to, to bring it back to what you reminded me of, which is that revolution absolutely needs grief. It's like, it is a way of coming together. It is. I mean, yeah. this whole thing, I, 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 I'm so glad we're talking about all this. 
what's going on with Israel and Palestine. And I have to say, like talking about mortality, like I said earlier, talking about mortality and, and death, like the, the, the privilege of it and yeah. feeling like been called out on it. I mean, I think I even posted something on social media recently in the last few weeks. And, um, one of my black community members was just like, this is a privilege to fucking post this about like relating to mortality in a way that like gets you present and peaceful, you know, and, and knowing I mean, it's true. It's all, it's all a privilege. Listen, uh, we're all yeah, privileged for in sure, this life. For sure. Part of <laughs> like, did you go to the grocery store today? It's like, what? There's so much, there's so much. And like, I felt it. I felt the truth of that. Um, mm. But just feeling how the grief of the hostages, the October 7th, the continued killings happening now with the Palestinian people of the Palestinian people, that, that grief, there's a place for all that to meet. I mean, they're there. You're describing when it happened. And then yeah. of course it gets complicated out of that. You make that public and then family and community is going to come down because that's other stuff. That's not grief. Right. Or it is another stage of grief that is being led and fueled by rage and fire and righteousness and what, what we believe is, is right and wrong for our people. You know, I, I, it's like, I really, it matters a lot. I want to acknowledge Adam that I didn't plan on talking about all this with you. It matters so much to talk about it. And I keep wanting to say like, I'm absolutely learning. I'm not trying to say like, I fully get it, but I, I then also can come back to what you described happened with that community is the simple thing. Children shouldn't be killed. Period. Um, people shouldn't be killed. Uh, mothers and children shouldn't be killed. Period. Right. Grief can meet grief. Like the, the, there is seeing each other in that act. What you described was people seeing one another from positions, representing positions that are like supposedly incapable of seeing one another, but grief, let them see one another. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> that got intense. I, I, are you? Are you? That's great. You I'm, okay. just, I'm just thinking. I'm thinking about um, if there's anything else I particularly want to say about this conflict. Mm-hmm. But okay, yeah, it's not about knowing. You know, mm-hmm. like you're right. You neither you or I are here to like know what's best. I like your podcast <laughs> name, especially because it's like it's the truth. Like you're going to die, we're all going to die, and knowing that. Why would we fill our lives with so much unnecessary death? It's, it's something that we're all headed towards. We have the awareness of it, but to create more of it and to, to, lose, the, to lose the sacredness of death is also to lose the sacredness of life. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, just, I, I can see it happening collectively. The masses of people who are witnessing this tragedy are, are asking for it to end. Yeah. That's a good sign. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the last thing I'll say still, I feel that. And then you go online and you see these people that are supposed to represent me in the government ch- chanting, like cease, no cease fire. And so I, there is that most like, why are we all, aren't we all clear about these simple things? Um, anyway, thank you for that.
I'm going to probably edit out most of me just suddenly going off because all good. <laughs> and keep mainly you putting words to but some I of wanna, these things. I, I, I would, I would like to say, yeah, it's not to demonize those who think differently than us. Mm. The compassion to look at that, that person who we disagree with, that Trump supporter who you don't like that Democrat who, you know, who you think is an idiot. That's strong language, but are we able to have compassion for those that we disagree with and to see them for their life experience? It's, it's kind of like that saying, you never know what someone's going through. Yeah. Right. And so even in this moment, can we have compassion? This is what I believe uh, is a requirement for men to become connected to their hearts, to have that compassion, that empathy in order to make better decisions. You know, everything that's happening right now that we're talking about, it's all decisions that were made by men and typically in small groups. And so our work is working with men in small groups and getting really fucking honest. First of all, it's like a core foundation of the work we do. We have to do it in honesty. And then, and then being able to express without the fear of judgment. And when we clear that type of energy that's been dormant, that's been stagnant, that's been coming out sideways, we make better decisions. We make better decisions about who we are, where we're going, you know, how we're going to show up for ourselves, for our families. And that matters in this world. The decisions that we make as men matter and they have impact. And so it's time for us as men to fully take responsibility and ownership and own it. Yeah. Thanks, Adam. I want to go back to something that that we were just about to launch into because it, it kept coming up and it's a word you use that every time you use it, I'm wanting to like dig into it a little more and it's longing. Yeah. Um, um, and I kind of cut you off because I was wanting to make another point of the like 10 things I'm holding as I'm getting to talk to you, but I want to return to that and see see if we can dig into that a little more. Yeah, what's behind that for me is connection. Ultimately, the the longing is for the depth of connection, mm. is for the cultural um, experience, significance, relevance to enter into our lives again. In the Western world, so many of us are disconnected from those ancestors, from, from cultural practices that have defined us for thousands of years as what it means to be human. And so we've lost a little bit of that sense of what it what it means to be human and the art of human making. And, and so returning to the simplicity of gathering of the elements of singing songs, you know, like those parts of us that really make us feel human. I, I think that that's so important. And so it's a big piece of, um, of what I, of what I long for in my life. You know, and I think that that's a part of why I wanted to create Sacred Sons. You know, another piece of longing for me, you know, I was, I found myself at, at 31 years old. You know, I played on many sports teams. I was in a band for 10 years. I've had a lot of brothers in my life. I have a, I have a blood brother and a sister as well. But I found myself at 31, like working, making money, bought a house, went through a, a big breakup. And then I looked around like, where are my brothers at? Where are the, where are the people I can pick up the phone and call? And so I, I had a longing for brotherhood in my life, you know, and to, and to, 
to really understand the importance of it, I think you you have to feel it. You have to experience it. But it is a real yeah. felt <laughs> sense. The sense of brotherhood, the sense of like, you got my back, my front and side to side. <laughs> yeah, really, I think, literally I think and emotionally. Yeah, right. I, it's, it's more than I think. I know men long for that. Mm-hmm. I work with a lot of veterans. I work with a lot of ex-law enforcement who long for that camaraderie that, that really fills us up. Mm-hmm. And so we get to bring that back in these beautiful ways through ritual um, and what we call ritual connection. And we have these, we have some incredible processes that we've created and uh, that we've been developing, um, you know, to, to take the place of that longing so that we can experience it in the here and now. And it's, it's simple and I don't want to, I don't want to pretend like it's complicated or it's, you know, I don't want to psychoanalyze it at all. That's it, right? I mean, it's it's simple. It doesn't need to be complicated. That's part of how it works. Yeah, yeah, man. We're creating culture here once again, that we can, that we can taste, that we can see, that we can hear, that we can smell. And repeat, you know, I feel like part of what you're doing is showing guys how to go into the world and create it. It's not just in your sacred sons, you know, events and ceremonies and circles. It's like here. Now, you know, like this is how to go. This is take this out into your life, you know, with your community. A thousand percent. There are so many circles of men meeting around this world right now. And it's, you know, relative to everything. It's, it's a small, small dent. Yeah. But I'm sorry. It's a starfish. But but we're training these men and teaching these men how to hold these circles. Mm -hmm. What are the right questions to ask? What are the steps to, to get to that de-armoring? Um, because we're dealing with men here. We're dealing with wild animals. We're dealing with savages. Yeah. And so it's not, it, it's not as in a way, it's not as simple to to call these men into the center to to do that work, right? Mm. There is um there is there are ways and there are best practices. Mm-hmm. And so we're seeing that and in, in really in that thousand year village, uh <clears throat> in that thousand year vision, mm-hmm. my hope is that they won't remember our names and that sacred sons wouldn't even be needed because it's embedded so deeply into the culture of us as men that we make the agreement to continue to connect, to continue to gather, to continue to share our stories, our vulnerabilities in an honest way. Mm -hmm. If we do that, if we, if we do that, as we do that, let's see, let's see what kind of a world that creates. Mm -hmm. Um, Hell yeah. Uh, I, you know, it doesn't stop at the men, right? Like it doesn't stop at the men. Of course I can't. I mean, that's gotta be part of your work too, right? Yeah. And the the messaging that I got and the vision that I received was we have to prepare the men, um, to come back into the village once again, Mm -hmm. almost like, almost like those old warriors when they would return from battle, um, before we, we integrate back into the tribe, we have to go through kind of like the, the process of, of, of grieving, of letting go, of, of honoring, you know, the ones that were lost in the battle. And so like, we're here in this time of modernity and we as sacred sons, you know, we're preparing the men to return to the village and to come back to the women and children as protectors, as providers, as, as all the things that all the gifts that men have, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of talk in the world about masculinity and all these, you know, the toxic traits. But when we really look at this world, I was just in Scotland at this incredible um, Scottish manor where we had, where we had an event and to look at the architecture and the detail and the care and the time 
that was taken by men to create the structures that fill our world. Like men have really built this world in a beautiful way. And I, and I think we've forgotten that we've forgotten that like it's one of the core qualities of, of masculinity is our ability to build and to do it in a beautiful way. Mm-hmm. Cool. Thanks, Adam. Thank you so much. I, I, we have like 15 minutes ish. Um, yep. yep. So just kind of naming that so we can sort of land this plane. Um, a couple things I'm, this might just be like, I want to acknowledge this, you know, sacred sons feels like a response to an epidemic of mm. men, especially getting into, God, there's, there's a few things I want to talk about, uh, um, and, and save some of it for another time. But first I'll say the epidemic that you describe, which you felt where you suddenly look around, you're like, where, so I'm a, a husband, I'm a father. And, you know, I understand there's men out that don't identify with these roles, but that's my moment, right. Of like, Oh, and I'm in this house and I'm working this job nine to five. And where are those places? Maybe even when I was younger, I could like go to where there was brotherhood, um, more easily available, uh, through college, I'd say coming out of college where it just starts to you lose that and yeah. looking around, especially even baby boomers, but middle-aged men, the just lack of what you're describing, uh, sacred sons is, is like returning to that community. And that might be it. I'm just wanting to kind of name that. Maybe you have more to add yeah. to that, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, at its core, I I've been saying this at weekends. It's like, if you can take anything away from this weekend, it would be a friend, one solid <laughs> yeah, person. Totally. That yeah. That's call. great. <laughs> like when, when, when shit hits the fan or when, when you really need it, that you know that you have one that's brother, simple. one yeah. accountability partner, you know, one Habibi that you can pick up the mm. phone and just like, they're there. How, how important would that be? Hell yeah. You know, like, or, or how important is that for us? Yeah. Right. That's it's real. It's mm-hmm. real, man. It's like this work is, is highly relational. A lot of our culture, a lot of the modernity is, is transactional. And so we're bringing it back to the relational work because it's, it's the most fulfilling. Mm. And, and as we reconnect to our hearts, we once again, reconnect to our purpose because that's what I was feeling. And that's what I know a lot of men are feeling is the disconnection from their purpose. And when we feel like that, that's right. That's when that's when the life can become mundane, meaningless, seemingly, um, or even a burden. And so to become connected to our heart and to remember like the inner essence of who I was as a child, at the th- at the things that light me up, and to be able to experience it again, it's transformative. It's absolutely transformational. And because this is a a podcast regarding death, you know, you're going to die today. A lot of the work that we do is transformational in the way that we are going to die in this life today so that we can become who we are to become tomorrow. You know, it's those little deaths. It's the, it's the, the Ouroboros, the death and rebirth cycle that we go through in our living essence. And I think, I think that's an important part of life to prepare us for the ultimate ceremony. The ultimate ceremony is birth and death. I, I think they're not yeah. separate. Yeah. Right. You know what I'm saying? I think, uh-huh. it's, I think there's a oneness there. Yeah. And so I feel that it's the ceremony of ceremonies where everything is trying to get back to that, to that mm-hmm. moment of creation. Um, God, so I've been we, feeling we, that so much to, lately. Yeah. We get to experience that together mm-hmm. 
when we, when we lay it down, when we expose it all and we say like, I'm, I'm no longer that person. I'm going to shed that skin so that I can be reborn today. Just like my brother who, who came out of that sweat lodge reborn. It's important for us to do that work. And this is not, I'm not inviting everyone to do that every day, but there are thresholds in life. Yes. There are places that we need that rites of passage, <laughs> that initiation. Right. That's right. That remembrance. This work is so much about remembrance mm. and the way we, we remember who we are you know, as individuals is to remember and honor those ancestors is to pray for our descendants, to pray for our children's children, to pray for our children's children who are to come, you know, all of, all of that collectively makes up who we are. And it, if, if we're looking for fuel, um, I think that's my fuel. (laughs) Yeah. Even more than the, yeah, the fuel, the fuel of the fuel of like knowing Actually, I would say like this, my, just to, to bring it back to my story, a big part of my personal mission is to become that grandfather that I didn't have is to simply be here. Right. And that's what I'm saying. Like I'm for life, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm here for life. I'm, yeah, yeah. I even, we have a chant for my brothers who have, you know, we, man, we do these circles and I'll just, I'll say in a group of maybe you know, 30 men who's, who's contemplated suicide this year and over half the hands go up. Oh my God. You know, and that just, just that. And so we, we, we have a chant, which is simply, I want to live. I want to live. And, and then we get the guys making this mantra real for them. Again, a little bit of shedding, a little bit of laying that, that sense of ourselves down who wasn't ready and to cross that threshold just to, to be here in this life. And so that's my trajectory is to become that grandfather. And I got three boys. So I have a pretty decent shot at it. And, um, you know, I'm here for it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> I was thinking like a couple of things you said, the, this retirement people are talking about. I mean, I just feel like you get to that place in life that you're aiming for. It's that's where you're more valuable than ever. That's when you should be more active than ever. That's where you should be engaging with community more than ever. You know, I mm. feel that so much. It's like, I, that's what I'm yes. working towards. Fuck. Yeah. And you're, and you're doing it. You're showing up for, for your hospice patients. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I imagine some of, some of them are elderly and yeah, I feel like it's a neglected part of our culture. But for sure. Um, that again, we get to, we get to do the, we get to do the work mm-hmm. you know, to reconnect there. But that, you know, that version of myself is the motivating force. Yeah. You know, and I feel, you know, something else you touched on that I feel like is part of the journey to there is this idea of ceremony. I went and got to say goodbye to a leader in our community here in the Bay area last week, someone who my best friend and our CFO introduced me to, um, he died last Tuesday and they had his body, um, laid out in the dome where we've done medicine circle with a couple times. I've been there a couple times. He's been a counselor of mine, but I got to go out there and I wept over his body and I made noises, you know, like I cry plenty, which you already can tell, but I made noises like I don't make, I have never made. And I also felt when I had that weeping, 
I also felt like the gratitude and, and, and a smile on my face at the end and, and kissing his head and saying goodbye. And when I drove away from there back over the Bay Bridge to San Francisco, because this is in Oakland, I could hear these words in my head that I feel like you're speaking to. And you also acknowledge the sort of sometimes impossibility of, but it is making a life of ceremony. You yeah. described it all. I think you say ceremony. You also described it as threshold. I talk about it as the edge, like to have a life that you've made, Adam, with this work you're doing, be so regularly of ceremony is that that is part of the journey to get to that elder, to become that grandfather. Absolutely. And it's not possible all the time, but it is what Sacred Sons is offering people because it's not very complicated. It is as simple as me actually, not any of the stuff I do this week in prison, at the hospital, uh, with the hospice patients, with the cancer patients. It is that I called my Jewish friend Monday and was like, hey man, like I'm just checking in. And he was just in tears because of how much he needed that call. And that yeah. was a ceremony that was threshold. That and I don't is, mean to be dramatic, it. but it was like, that's that was it. it is that simple, you know, that it's that simple. And it's that profound. Right. Got it. We have to hold both of them because, right. um, for all the ceremonies that I've been a part of, the biggest revelation is that the work is in between the fires. The work is in between ceremonies, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. The ceremony begins when we step out when we step back into the world mm -hmm. and that's when, that's when the trials come. That's when the opportunities come. That's when our prayers are answered. When we pray for compassion, you know, the, the world, the universe, God, life gives us an experience to feel compassion. And so whatever people are dealing with, whatever challenging confrontations there are, there are, there are opportunities for us um, to practice the things that we pray for and the things that we believe in and to become who we are to become in this life. Mm. It's not easy. It's not easy. No. And it's okay. <laughs> and it's okay to say that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's important. You know, I mean, that's part of the fire, right? You know, that's part of the yes. point. Um, yeah. So last couple things, Adam, I've been thinking about this a lot with my son. He's 12 and going on 13 and felt especially drawn to some of the work y'all are doing with youth, young, yes. young kids and fathers and, and sons. Sure. Together. That's some of the most powerful stuff. I mean, it's like you said already that I want to acknowledge sometimes when people have me on their show, maybe the ways I'm not a good guest is when they say, tell me about you're going to die. Like explain the experience. It's like, well, maybe we sh you should just do it. Like, cause that's yeah. definitely the better way to explain it. Totally. But I am cornering you again on like maybe a little bit of articulation around that particular endeavor with that demographic. Yeah, I would love to. Sons Youth is a program um, that was born from Sacred Sons. We always knew, you know, the men's work is, is, is great. It's needed. And the real work is in that. passing on to the next generation to provide mm -hmm. the next generation with the very thing that we didn't have. And we know we didn't have it because we longed for it. So now we get the opportunity to provide it for the yeah, youth. Right, right. One, one of the cool things I like to point out is we use the one-to-one -one model. So we scholarship 50% of the, the young men who are in all of our programs. We start with an online eight-week cohort with three mentors. And this is a sharing space that the young men get to come to weekly 
Um, you know, there's, there's pieces around emotional intelligence, consent, safety, and then it's just about getting into that openness and having the space for these guys to share. And you would not believe some of the, the things these young men are carrying from, you know, parents going through divorce, loss of their friends and peers, school shootings, um, imagine in social media, you know, imagine what it's like to be a young man or woman at this time. And so we get the opportunity to provide that space. And then we bring them into uh, the youth immersions or convergences. And I guess what I would, I would say here is I want to tell a story from Convergence 7. We had 60 youth. Um, half of their dads were there. Half of them had like a mentor they were paired up with. And in the beginning of the weekend, we did a severance. So we lined them all up eye to eye in our sacred mirrors, fathers and sons. And we had the sons turn their back. You know, we asked for permission from the fathers for the, for the mentors to take the boys off and they're going to go off into the spirit world and they're going to go do their work. And the fathers went off and did their work for the weekend. And on Sunday, we brought the young men back in, 60 of them blindfolded. This, this particular gathering in total was 400 people. And so we're all banging drums, making noise, and these young men are blindfolded. And we lined them back up. And so all these men are standing across from their fathers and mentors, blindfolded. And then all the music stops. And we ask the young men to remove their blindfold. And what they're seeing at that moment is their fathers in tears, waiting to receive them. And the, the mentors who they trust, receiving them back into this world you know, after being away and doing their work. And it is some of the most powerful intergenerational work that I've ever been a part of in that healing between fathers and sons. I believe the healing goes in both directions, seven generations back, seven generations ahead. And I believe that that, that healing, that lineal healing work is some of the most important stuff we can do. Not with, not just with strangers, but with our flesh and blood. You know, brothers and sisters, fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, this is where the future of, of this work goes, mm -hmm. is doing it in the here and now, not waiting for someone to pass before we tell them that we love them, that we honor them, acknowledge them, you know, not waiting for our children uh, to leave the nest before we honor them as, as young men and bless them. Like the blessing, the anointing, these are the things that we're bringing back into the culture. And these, these, are the, these, are, these are the rituals I believe we need to remember our humanness.
thank you so much to Adam Jackson for saying yes to being on the show. And I want to highlight something that I feel about this conversation. I've been saying lately to start the interviews, and they're really more conversations than interviews, but to start when we record, I say, what if, what if we both died by tomorrow or the world ended and this show never made it to Apple Podcasts or Spotify? If that's the case, what are we going to share here that we need right now? And it's intense, I think, sometimes for people maybe to hear me put, uh, put it that way, but also maybe like life can be that way. I don't know. How are we here now if there is no promise for tomorrow? I do hope my life is informed by that truth, the inevitability that waits however soon it will be, like maybe tomorrow. And Adam really leaned into that kind of conversation and people tend to. It's like, what are we sharing? The podcast suddenly doesn't exist. It's just us. What does it matter here to be together? How does it matter? What can we share um, that matters here and now? And so thank you, Adam, for showing up like that with me. If you want to connect to Adam, the best way to do it is to connect to Sacred Sons. Go to sacredsons.com. The show notes will have all the links links and Instagram, especially connect on Instagram. I hope to be a part of some of these events someday. And I hope my son gets to be a part of some of these events and maybe us together. And the content that Sacred Sons is putting out, especially on Instagram, which is where I'm most connected to them, is valuable and moving and powerful. And Adam Jackson, if you hadn't figured it out already, is a host of his own podcast for Sacred Sons. So check out that show too. Uh, anyway, very worth it to be connected to them, whether or not you are a man, whether or not you're ever able to participate in any of their offerings, just a lot of great stuff online to connect to. So go and do that for sure. Nick Jana, my brother. Hello, brother, <laughs> brother from another mother. Hello, brother. I think a, a form of that, Sounded awkward. A form of that that I've experienced that I think you have too is um, going into prison and uh, mm. events in prison or anything like that, at least coming as a musician performer, there's always this part of your brain that's thinking this show is potentially more than just the show, like it'll be talked about or lead to some connection or something. And I remember the first time playing in prison thinking, oh, wow, it's just this. And isn't it always just this or shouldn't it always <laughs> yeah, be right, just this? Right, well, why, right. am I, why am I devoting so much of my presence in a moment to thinking, what mm. could this lead to? Or will I get a record deal or any of those things, you know? Yeah. That prison context is great. A great reference for that and a great reference for the point of this episode, which is because I kind of kind of wouldn't have been surprised if you just launched into what does it mean to be with a bunch of men who are vulnerable or holding space for one another and listening to one another and only really have each other other than maybe like medical staff, mental health staff, uh, staff in prison that support them and maybe also have like relationships with them in terms of how they show up when they are in times of need. But to both say, yes, absolutely. The prison context is like, this is it. You know, we're not promoting, we're not recording it. The open mics, we try to encourage that too, right? The fleeting, mm -hmm. It's here and now, it's just ours, and then it's gone, you know? Yeah. And um, and to transition from that into what it means to be with men who are really good at 
holding space with one another, boy, the prison context offers me a ton of that. I think it's part of why it's so seductive for me to go back in there, how much I am so glad every time I go, like how much I want to be there, how much I look forward to just to be with these guys who have such a deep experience of being alive, have done so much work to find meaning out of darkness and to find each other, like such an impact on me. I'm so glad you, you brought that up. I was going to kind of bring it into the intro and I just missed the chance, but that context informs for sure how much it matters to have men community to circle up with. And I think for you and I, and, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but I think you and I have an inclination to have women in our life. They are usually our go-tos, usually who we seek support from, who are safest in terms of what it means to be vulnerable. And, and you know, like I find you as someone in my life, especially after the years we've been working with You're Going to Die Together, um, as someone I like called this week, not because it was a work call, but because I wanted to connect and I knew it would help me even just mm -hmm. to have a conversation with you. Um, but I wonder, do you agree? Does it tend to be like the, the non uh, masculine male identifying friends in your life that you lean towards when you are in need or want to open up or get support? Not even, not even that I lean towards, but, but who show up honestly, and who know how to show up in complicated ways and find a way to sit with something difficult or just be quiet. Um, I, I always think it goes back to modeling, uh, not fashion modeling, yeah. but um, uh, <laughs> roles that you've been you've had modeled for you in your life. Yeah, that um, boys grow up often just not seeing a demonstration of how to do that. Um, they see uh, models of how to take charge or fix something or, you know, like a lot of positive things, but don't see that model of how do I sit with something ambiguous and uncomfortable emotionally and not try to fix it and see how I can just be there. Um, and I, so I've learned a lot of how to do that from women, non-binary people, not raised men. And, um, I hope it can spread more. I mean, it's inspiring to hear Adam talk about, that type of work. I've done some work like that with our friend, Olivia Pepper, um, what she calls, uh, uh, magic. I know what she, I don't know. She calls it uh, empathy Academy, <laughs> hmm. the series of classes, uh, from the, from the basis of magic and the oracular arts, like tarot and astrology, like talking with men about how to show up more in those ways, um, through that lens of these, uh, forms of, uh, uh, these areas of interest that are essentially devoted to helping people, you know, um, and just even small things like how to see cleaning the kitchen as something magical as a magical practice, you know, how to be showing up in those ways. So I'm, I'm glad to hear the, of other people doing it in different ways. It definitely is a much needed thing. I think a lot of that overwhelming, uh, trapped emotions that men feel is just from not having, I, I can't even imagine not having female friends that I'm close to that I can like mm. process those emotions with. I, it would just be overwhelming. It leads to yeah. some really uh, nightmarish outcomes, obviously. Yeah, I, I absolutely relate. And, uh, you know, for sure, my dad wasn't a model of a lot of great stuff. Um, and if there were emotions expressed, it usually was sudden anger. And if it was anything else, it was withdrawal. 
um, and mm-hmm. silence and absence. Um, and then I had the, just growing up with a mom and a sister, I think the influence of being mainly with women through my younger years, most often just with them had its own impact in terms of maybe my softening or modeling. Maybe, you know, um, I've talked about it on the show. My mom wasn't someone who opened up the ton and that's not totally fair. She might list friends in her life that she did that with. And I just don't know about it. Um, I do think she talked to my sister who's older more than I about stuff that she's going through that were hard and hard to deal with and maybe protected me, but also because I'm a boy or growing, growing into a man, a male identifying, uh, maybe she just default didn't think of me as someone she could have those kind of conversations with, even when I, you know, moved home in the last mm-hmm. year of her life. Although mm-hmm. there was a lot of ways we really got to connect, but, I, but I totally agree, um, couldn't imagine life without the, the, the non men identifying humans in my life, um, who are great models for what it means to be vulnerable and support each other. And I feel like so much of what we do with you're going to die is, is like grown from that influence for sure. Um, but I also do feel the inclination. Like I feel like a man who's willing to be open and vulnerable and fragile and honest and, 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 really make that visible with others. I wonder the last thing I'll ask you to put you on the spot is what has it been like becoming friends with me in this way? <laughs> is it still, is it still like, kind of like not your, I mean, you, we, you, you know, especially even in the last couple of months, you know, I feel like we've held a lot of space between each other in a time of need. And so clearly there's an inclination you have to depend on me. Um, but also is it awkward or is it weird? (laughs) (laughs) Now it is. (laughs) Yeah. Great. Uh, Just just in the last five seconds. Yeah. (laughs) Great. Great. No, you know, I love as you do too, that opportunity to be like, how are you? No. How are you? No, Mm -hmm. you know, which you literally will say sometimes. And, it's not just that I just am seeking out women. It's like I'm seeking out that opportunity for that vulnerability and in- emotional intimacy. So, yeah, it's 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 a very special thing, and um, I, it's I, I appreciate the work that you know, like the work that you've done to get there, and it's cutting against so much societal influence of how to be a man, you know, mm. and. It really, it does mean a lot to me. I mean, I really Mm -hmm. appreciate that. And um, yeah, it's no small thing. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you in the same way. It is, it is interesting how commonly when I'm in a space facilitating recently at the last open mic, I got off the stage and, and this woman came up to me and said, it's so great to see someone who's seems so masculine and manly. And this isn't a paraphrase. I think these are words they used who just can crack open and be very, very vulnerable and cry in front of everyone. And I do feel like that element of what we do in our work too, and likely in your work with your writing workshops and, and the other spaces you facilitate as a performer and a creator that that's something of what we're offering and pushing against, uh, the norm, especially in our country. But I think after talking to Adam Jackson with sacred sons, doing so much work globally, there's a sense that it's, it's international, this, this, this way of being from a lot of men, um, which is why I feel like their work matters so much. And I'm so glad I got to talk to them. Um, I was just hanging out with our, 
with our friend Olivia Pepper last week, my best friend, somebody that you know really well, but have never met in person. She literally yeah. asked me, is Ned actually really tall? <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Or is that a myth? <laughs> never you know? met in and person. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, oh God, the Zoom relationship culture. Where like, yeah. you don't know height and uh-huh. weight to some degree. You know, you don't know like the, the physical presence of somebody. And my camera's kind of slightly turned down. <laughs> and so I actually think people expect me to be short. And I know I've made this joke with you before and on the podcast, but it's my favorite coming out of the pandemic when we started seeing people in person for the first time, which is still happening. Like Mm -hmm. only just recently, I met several of the cancer patients that I've known for years in our Mm -hmm. workshops. Um, but I, I just love the idea that like, maybe I would just show up and be two feet tall or three feet tall. And they just would be like, wow. Yeah. I mean, I guess, uh, it seems like people expect me to be on the shorter side, but I'm, I am tall. It's not a myth. It's true. Everyone. Can you tell? And now I'm talking listeners, how tall I am. (laughs) Um, (laughs) well, thanks, Nick. Uh, appreciate you so much. Uh, and, um, thanks again to Adam Jackson and to all you listeners. And that's it. We back glad to be. Thank you so much for your patience with our week off, just treating things gently, you know, like we don't want to constantly be in the hustle of getting episodes out every week just to get episodes out every week. We're clearly very committed to the regularity with which we offer these episodes and like, we're all going to die someday. So let's take a break. Sometimes, uh, I offer that up to you as an invitation in these last weeks of the year to find those moments to let go and not worry about it. It's okay. You'll get what's done, done. What's needed, done, done. What you need to do will get done eventually. Um, that's all. And until next time, bye-bye. Actually, I'm changing that. I feel like for a long time, Nick, I've been saying until next time, Mm bye-bye. And that's it. There's missing a sentence. So what I want to say is until next time, I hope all of you listeners find a continued deeper sense of being alive and a more enhanced, expansive way of being in your life and connecting to others and feeling and remembering you're not alone and feeling how alive you are here and now more and more every day, even with the losses and also with the joy. That's what I want to happen until next time. Okay. That's that's Yeah. 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 I'll have to write that down. Okay. (laughs) Bye, Nick. Bye, Bye, everybody.